Good morning, church. When you tell somebody, I love you, as I tell you every week, and I do, I love you. Uh, when you tell somebody, I love you, it's more than, or it should be more than a revelation of emotion. It should be a declaration of commitment. When you say to somebody, I love you, you're making a commitment to them to actually love them. It's more than just saying, this is how I feel about you. You're making a commitment to treat them in a certain way. But I, I hope that this morning we can reflect on whether or not the people to whom we say, I love you, including the way I say, I love you to you, whether or not we're really loving people or are our lives so busy that it's hard to follow through on our commitment to love people? Are we so busy we're not actually loving the people to whom we say, I love you? Every morning when I drive here to the office, I don't know what your commute is like or if you commute or not, but, but my commute is, is filled with school zones. You know the feeling? I, some of y'all know the feeling. I, I go through several, I would say, at least a thousand school zones between here and my house. And the only thing more frustrating than the traffic and the speed that you're supposed to go in a school zone are the people that feel like that school zone speed limit doesn't apply to them. You know what I mean? The people that, that drive really fast through it. And a couple weeks ago, there was a guy, I hope this wasn't any of you, but there was a guy in a huge truck. I assume it was a guy. I'm sorry, I don't know. But I assume it was a guy, big, huge truck, big enclosed trailer. I'm not sure how he could see around, but he was going at least 35, 40 miles an hour in a 20 mile an hour zone. And I was getting so frustrated. He was just zooming past and he was not just going quickly, but he was changing lanes, cutting people off, not using a turn signal. You know what imprecatory prayers are? Some of y'all know what imprecatory prayers are. It's when you pray that God's righteous judgment comes down on people. I was tempted to pray some imprecatory prayers against that guy. But as I, as I sort of calmed down from feeling frustrated at this guy that was disregarding the school zone, I realized I am him. I don't drive like that. But so often, if I'm honest, I live my life like that. When I'm just going 90 miles an hour and I, I've got too much on my mind and I've got too many things to do, too many places that I feel like I need to get to and I, I cut people off, so to speak... I don't see the people that are all around me. I'm not really present where I'm supposed to be and be doing the things that I'm supposed to be doing. I'm going too fast, even if it's just up here between my ears. Are you living your life like that? 90 miles an hour, zooming past people, cutting people off, not even realizing that there are other people around you, other people that you've maybe even made a commitment to love them. Your kids, your spouse, your neighbors, your coworkers, your classmates, and they may desperately need you, and you've got too many things to do, going too many places, and you don't even see the people that are all around you. So many of us in, in our culture, we live at such a fast pace, and it's not good for us. It's not healthy. I have not done anything well when I'm in a hurry. How about you? 
I don't do things well when I'm in a hurry. I love the, the book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. I'm drawing a lot from that in this series that we're going through right now. And John Mark Comer, the author of The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, gives these 10 symptoms of hurry sickness. And I just want to go through these quickly, see if any of this rings true for you. 10 symptoms of hurry sickness. Number one, irritability. You get mad, frustrated, or just annoyed way too easily. Little normal things irk you. People have to tiptoe around your ongoing low-grade negativity, if not anger. That's what happens, isn't it? When we're living our lives at 90 miles an hour, when we're so busy we feel like there's no way I can accomplish everything that I, I need to accomplish today, we are constantly irritable. Number two, hypersensitivity. All it takes is a, a minor comment to hurt your feelings, a grumpy email to set you off, or a little turn of events to throw you into an emotional funk and ruin your day. By the way, all of these, I, I fully admit, I am a hurry sick. Number three, restlessness. When you actually do try to slow down and rest, you can't really relax because your brain is still going 90 miles an hour. Number four, workaholism or nonstop activity. Number five, emotional numbness. Empathy is a rare feeling for you. You just don't have the time for it. In order to, to feel what other people are feeling, to put yourself in their shoes, to say, I wonder how they're feeling. I wonder what they're going through. I wonder what their life is like. We have to slow down in order to practice empathy. Number six, out of order priorities. We're doing the urgent things, but not necessarily the important things. Number seven, a lack of care for your body. Number eight, escapist behaviors. You know, like mindlessly scrolling through social media, binge watching shows on Netflix. Number nine, slippage of spiritual disciplines. Time in prayer, fasting, time reading scripture, time in worship and praise. And number 10, isolation or being disconnected from people. When you're with them, you're also with your phone or you're a million miles away in your mind running down the to-do list. Does this sound familiar to any of you? It sounds familiar to me. This is, this is the world in which we live. This has become normalized, hasn't it? Living our lives at such a hurried pace, we are ignoring and not making time for or taking time for the things that are really important. And as we said last week, and we're going to say throughout this series, we need to slow down if we want to catch up with Jesus. We need to slow down if we want to catch up with Jesus. This whole year is all about reflect and renew. Reflect on, on where we are, where we need to be, who we are, and who we need to be, and, and allow the Spirit of God to renew us, to transform us, to change us, to begin to be the people that Jesus is calling us to be. But in order to be renewed and experience that renewal and transformation, we have to slow down. In order to reflect, we have to slow down. In order to walk with Jesus, we have to adopt Jesus' pace of life. And our pace of life so often is too hurried to keep up 
with Jesus. So let's think about some of the things that Jesus did in his life and the way that Jesus lived his life. We're going to talk this morning about one Sabbath day that Jesus had in Capernaum, and he was teaching in the synagogue, and then his sermon was interrupted by a demon-possessed man. Super glad that's never happened to me. Uh, he was interrupted by a demon-possessed man. He cast out the demon, and then he went to Peter's house. He, he healed Peter's mother-in-law. It had been a long Sabbath day. And as the sun was setting on the Sabbath day, which meant for the Jewish people that that day was over and that it was the next day, we read Luke chapter 4, starting at verse 40. Luke 4 and verse 40. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to Jesus. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many crying, you are the son of God, but he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. We see this throughout the ministry of Jesus, don't we? Jesus made time for people, or rather, Jesus took time for people. He prioritized other people and their needs. He loved people. He healed people. He helped people. He served people. He was there for people. He was present with people. He touched people. And, and we might think, well, Duh, he's Jesus, right? Of course he did that. He's Jesus. I'm not Jesus, Wes. This is Jesus we're talking about. Of course he was compassionate. Of course he was thoughtful. Of course he was present with people and prioritized people and loved people. But wait a second. Why is that such a, a no-brainer to us? You're, you're telling me that God became flesh God became a human being and prioritized people? And you think that goes without saying? You think that's so obvious that that's what God would do, that it's no longer surprising and shocking? When you read Greek mythology, or you read mythology of ancient people, and they talk about God's pretending, in their case, pretending to be human, is that how their gods acted? When they walked around as human beings, did they prioritize people? Did they come to serve or be served? Jesus comes to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. This should shock us. This should shock us that God becomes human and then prioritizes human beings and their needs. It should make us think what the psalmist says in Psalm chapter 8. He says, when I, when I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? God, God becomes human and shows his care and compassion for people and prioritizes the needs of people, the hurts and the aches and the pains and the suffering and the sickness of people. And then, then there's us. Then there's us that think we're too good to do that, too important to do that. I've got too many things to do. I don't have time for them. I've got too much on my to-do list. I don't have time for them. I've got a busy schedule. I don't have time for them. I can't care about everything they've got going on in their life. Don't you know how important my life is? Isn't that why we drive 90 miles an hour? Because wherever we're going, 
And whatever we're doing and whatever our priorities are and whatever our schedule is, it's far more important than anybody else around us. And here's God. God. Here's God. Here's the creator of the universe. And he is mindful of us. He prioritizes us. He makes time for us. He becomes human for us. And as a human, he comes not to be served, not to say, don't you know how important I am? Don't you know the things I'm trying to accomplish here? Don't you know how important my schedule is? I've got priorities. I've got people to see. I've got things to do. You better respect my time and schedule. Instead, he prioritizes the needs of the people around him. He's present with them. He loves them. He serves them. How much more so should we mere mortals be doing that for each other? Look at verse 42, the beginning of verse 42. It says, and when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. This, this is part of the secret to why Jesus was able to do what he was able to do and serve how he was able to serve and minister how he was able to minister, why he had access to the power that he had. Because he would take time to prioritize prayer, isolation, solitude, to go away to a desolate place, and we'll read in just a moment, and pray. Keep reading in verse 42. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. Of course, that would be the case, right? Verse 43. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose and he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Now this this is, provides a, a wonderful balance here, doesn't it? Because Jesus doesn't confuse people's expectation and God's mission for him, right? He doesn't confuse people's expectation and God's mission. He doesn't take people's expectations and say, well, if you asked me to stay, I guess I've got to stay no, Jesus realizes that sometimes he has to say no to some people's expectation so that he can say yes to God's mission. He has to be able to realize when he needs to stay in a certain place and when he needs to move on and go and do other things. And we have to re recognize this as well, don't we? You, you have all the time that you need. I fully believe this. You have all the time you need to do everything you need to do. You may not have all the time you need to do everything people expect you to do. Right? Let me say that one more time just in case you didn't get it because sometimes I don't get it. You have all the time you need to do what you really need to do, but you may not have all the time you need to do everything people expect you to do. So guess what? In order to say yes to the mission of God for your life, you, you may have to say no to some people's expectations. You, you may have to recognize and remember and remind yourself of the fact that every time you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. Jesus says no to staying permanently and exclusively in Capernaum so that he can say yes to going to all the other places he needs to go. And sometimes you have to recognize that as well. That when you say yes to everybody who asks you, hey, can you do this? Hey, can you do that? Hey, I need you to do this. Can you work on this? Do you mind taking on that? 
We overcommit ourselves trying to say yes to everyone's expectation. And then when we look around and we realize there are things God is calling you to do. There are things that God expects you to do. Maybe it's your mission to your family. Maybe it's your mission to your next door neighbor. Maybe it's your mission to your coworker. But you don't have the time to do what God wants you to do because you've been doing everything that everybody else expects of you. Jesus is willing to say no to some people's expectations so that he can say yes to God's mission. Look at chapter 5 and verse 12. Luke chapter 5 and verse 12. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Now you, you may already be familiar with this disease of leprosy, this skin disease that people suffered with and, and the way that it, it caused them to be a social outcast in the first century. They had to live apart from other people. They had to warn other people that they were coming. And we often think about how difficult and challenging it would be to, to not be touched by your own family. And that was part of it, I'm sure, in this man's life. People that he loved couldn't hug him, hold his hand, couldn't kiss his cheek. So he had to remain separate from people that he loved. But there was also the aspect of worship and coming into the temple and offering sacrifices. He had to remain apart from that. He couldn't, he couldn't congregate with God's people. He couldn't worship with God's people. He couldn't offer sacrifices the way that he wanted to, I'm sure, and desired to offer sacrifices. He had to remain separate from that. And, and although, although this doesn't even really compare, we remember not too long ago, just a few years ago, don't we? When we couldn't come here and how hard it was because of a disease that we had to remain apart. And, and, and there were people that we couldn't be with. And, and we couldn't congregate the way that we wanted to congregate. And we couldn't worship the way we wanted to worship. It was hard, wasn't it? And this man, for as long as he has had this disease, has been unable to come to the temple has been unable to congregate and assemble with God's people, has been unable to participate in the sacrifices the way that he had grown up doing so. And I'm sure he ached and he longed for reconciliation. That was the thing about being unclean, was it, it caused there to be a, a division, it caused there to be a separation. Look at verse 13. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him, Jesus charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. And there's so much there I wish that we could spend time on. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't against the law. It wasn't illegal. It wasn't a sin to touch an unclean person. Jesus didn't sin by touching an unclean person. It wasn't, it wasn't a sin to intentionally touch something unclean. In fact, there were many times where you had to do that. You had to touch someone or something that was unclean. 
What would be a sin was if you didn't know it or didn't care and you didn't purify yourself afterwards. If you touch something that was unclean, you recognize I touched something or someone that was unclean, now I have to purify myself so that I can be clean and participate in the worship and go to the temple and do what I need to do. And so you purified yourself before you went and did those things because it would be a sin to go and go to the temple if you were unclean. So again, it wasn't a sin to touch somebody that was unclean, but it was a hassle. Right? It was a hassle. It was inconvenient to touch someone or something that was unclean because then you had to go through a purification ritual. You had to purify yourself. You had to cleanse yourself so that you could go and do what you needed to do. Now, it doesn't say whether Jesus went through that or not. Most commentators think that Jesus didn't purify himself afterwards, that Jesus was so holy and pure that his purity and holiness transferred to the man and cleansed him and that Jesus didn't take on his disease. That could be. That could be. Again, that's reading into the text. Or it could be that Jesus, like he told the man to follow the law of Moses, that Jesus himself followed the law of Moses and purified himself afterwards so that he was ritually pure. In fact, Isaiah 53 says when it's talking about the suffering servant, it says that the suffering servant will bear our griefs. And the word griefs means diseases and sicknesses. That the Messiah will take on our diseases and sufferings himself in order to purify us and cleanse us. Again, I don't know what Jesus did after this ritual, but I know that touching someone was inconvenient. It was a hassle. And that's why most people didn't do it. And there's a, there's a reality there for us as well. Even though we don't have to worry about ritual purity and ritual cleansing and purification ceremonies, we still recognize that sometimes people's lives are messy, don't we? We recognize sometimes people's lives are messy and we say, I just don't want to deal with it. I don't want to deal with it. I've got too much to do. I don't have time to wash my hands after I deal with that, so I'm just going to leave it alone. I'm not going to touch that situation. I'm going to stay away from that situation. I don't have time to love them because it's too much of a hassle. It's too inconvenient. And see, that's, that's I think, what Jesus not only demonstrates but teaches us, examples for us, models for us, Love people, love people, reach out and touch people, roll up your sleeves and be willing to get involved in people's lives even when it's messy, even when it's a hassle, even when it's inconvenient. Take time for people, even when you're going to have to take on some of the mess. Look at verse 15. But now even more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. He would withdraw. The way that that's phrased indicates that it's something he did regularly. The NIV says he often withdrew. You know, we, we have a phrase we tend to say, don't we? We say, work hard, play hard, right? Work hard, play hard, right? We, we work hard and then we go on vacation hard, right? We, we do things to the extreme. In fact, sometimes we get back from vacation and we say, I really need a vacation 
from my vacation, right? We wear ourselves out even on vacation. We schedule ourselves sick. So much entertainment, so much distraction, even when we say we're resting. Even our rest is exhausting. We work hard and then we do, we play hard. Jesus, I think, would have a different motto. It would be more like work hard, pray hard. Work hard, pray hard. Jesus worked hard. He helped people. He served people even when it was messy, even when it was inconvenient, even when it was a hassle. He loved people. He touched people. He was present with people. And then he would withdraw and he'd spend time with his father in prayer. It's the only way you can really work hard is if you pray hard. The only way to really have the energy as Christians to, to fulfill the mission of God in our lives, to be the people that God is calling us to be, to be is to withdraw often and pray. That's, that's one of the things that's missing from so many of our lives, isn't it? We have every moment scheduled, yet we haven't scheduled real time to pray. Oh, we may pray before a meal. We may pray here and there just sporadically and we'll sprinkle prayer throughout the day. But are we withdrawing and putting pause, pushing pause on life and saying, hold on, wait, I have to spend time with my Father. If I don't spend time with my Father, if I don't spend time in prayer, I won't be able to serve anyone else. So here, I think three ways Jesus models taking time for what matters. Three ways from this text, Jesus models taking time for what matters. Number one, help people even when it's messy, even when it's a hassle, even when it's inconvenient, even when afterwards now you're going to have to do some work to sort of clean up the mess, take time for people. If you see somebody and you say, wow, that is, I don't, I don't even know. I, I just, that would be so hard and inconvenient. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to help. Maybe that's an invitation to be like Jesus and step into that situation rather than away from it. Number two, know when to say no to someone's expectation so you can say yes to God's mission. Every time you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. And sometimes you have to say no to something so you can say yes to something else. Sometimes you have to say no to people that are always asking you, can, can you do this? Can you do that? Can you go here? Can you go there? Sometimes you have to say no to those urgent things so you can say yes to the important things. And finally, number three, withdraw often to pray. Withdraw often to pray. Unless we spend time in prayer, we're not going to be able to serve as God would have us to serve. Unless we're willing to take this time, we'll spend more time tomorrow or next week rather talking about that. But let's sum it up today by saying when we don't intentionally spend our time on the important, we find ourselves spent by the trivial. Isn't that true? When we don't intentionally spend our time on the important things, we find ourselves spent by the trivial things. And I think if we're honest, a lot of us would say that's where we are this morning. Spent. Spent. We know there's lots of things that we, we should do, lots of things that we're called to do. Oh, we would love to talk to our neighbor about Jesus. We'd, we'd love to be more present with our children. 
We'd love to really re-spark the the romance and love in our marriage. So many things that we, we know we ought to do as followers of Jesus, but we're just exhausted. We're spent. And our life has been spent by the trivial because we didn't intentionally choose to spend our time on the important. But today is a day of renewal, isn't it? That's what we celebrate as Christians, isn't it? An opportunity to not only be forgiven by Jesus, but an opportunity to recommit ourselves. That, that happens when we're baptized into Christ, but it happens, it happens weekly, it happens daily, doesn't it? Where we can recommit ourselves and say, okay, it's a new week, a new week. The sun has come up on a new week, and this week, I'm going to keep my eyes fixed on Jesus. I'm going to walk by the Spirit, and I'm going to walk at the pace of Jesus. I'm going, to, I'm going to love people and help people even when it's messy. I'm going to say no to the things I should say no to so I can say yes to the things I should say yes to. And I'm going to withdraw often to pray. If we can help you this morning with that renewal, whether you're ready to be baptized into Jesus or you just need prayers or encouragement, our shepherds would love to pray with you after service so you can come forward now. As together we stand and sing.